0: To end the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 3. Each chapter in Ephesians kind of builds upon the chapter before it, which shouldn't take us by any surprise because that's typically how something, how a letter is written. But, uh, in this case, Paul is building a, an understanding. In Ephesians chapter three, he says in verse one, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And before I go on, he says, it's for this reason. And so you go, okay, well, you got to figure out what is this reason. I know we talked a little bit about this the last time we were together, but but I'm kind of setting up for next week because next week, we're going to be getting into chapter 4. And chapter 4, Paul begins in verse 1 and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so when you know as we are as students, right? We come to a therefore in Scripture and what do we do? We find out what it's there for. That's right. And so what we do is is we look at chapter 4 and we see that Paul says, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I beg you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul's saying, I want you to, to think about what I just said. Alright? I want you to, to go back and think about what I just said. Well, that's what he just said in verse, in chapter three, verse one, right? He goes, hey, it's for this reason that I bow my knees. It's for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for your Gentiles, for your Gentiles, it's for this reason That I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you, that, you know, that I am offering these things to you, I'm sharing the, it's for this reason, for what reason? Well, it's chapter two. Chapter two, it goes in and it talks about who we are, who we used to be, and now who we are today in Christ, which then takes us back into chapter 1 where in chapter 1 you look at the first 13 verses and you see there's like nine times in the first 13 verses where we are we see that Paul is referencing, number one, who, what we are in Christ, how we got there, who it is that we have to thank for it, how it is we did it, The who, what, where, why, and when. When we will, uh, you know, receive, uh, this, this benefit that is coming to us based upon our relationship through Christ. But he says it's only, you only have these things because you are in Christ. You know, he, he says you're, you're in Christ. In Him. You're in the beloved. You're in him, you're in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ. And he just, nine times he says in the first 13 verses. And so he's pointing out to us that, If you're in Christ, this is who you, this is who you belong to. If you're in Christ, this is what you have to look forward to. If you're in Christ, this is no longer your destiny, but this is your destiny. When will it happen? In the dense dispensation of the fullness of times, this is when it's gonna happen. But it will happen. May not happen today, may not happen tomorrow, but it's gonna happen but you have absolutely no hope unless you're in Christ. And then he, he breaks into chapter 2 and he says, let me just remember, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, this is who you used to be, this is who I used to be, this who we used to be before we came to Christ. We used to be controlled by none other than, we. and we talked about that. I don't think that any of us probably, maybe there might be one or two, maybe one, I don't know, I'm just thinking, you know, anytime you have even more than five people in a room, there could be one person that goes, well, yeah, I kind of dabbled in satanic rituals and things like that. But for the most part, I think I know pretty much all of you guys, and I don't know that, that part of your testimony. And so if you did do that, I don't know about it. I don't have to know about it. But I'm thinking that there's probably not a lot of us in this room that ever were... We felt like we were, you know, you know, entering into satanic rituals and that we were possessed by Satan and that we followed after what Satan wanted us to do. You know, we might have just thought we were just living the way that anybody else did. I just didn't give any care to who Satan was or who God was. The point is what Paul says in chapters 2, verses 1 through 10, is he's saying, hey, even though you might not have thought that you didn't, you didn't adhere to Satan, even though you didn't, if you didn't have, if you were not in him, in Christ, you were, you belong to Satan. That's who you belong to. There is no middle ground. Oh, but I never let camp, it doesn't matter. You belong to Satan. In God's eyes, there are two camps. There is God's camp and Satan's camp. And you were in one of them. Before you came to Christ, you were in Satan's camp whether or not you did any seances or anything like that, you were in that camp. And and Paul, he writes in chapter 2, he says, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. You were. I was. And, and then he breaks into chapter 3 and he says, listen, it's for this reason that I... Paul, the, the prisoner of, the, of, of Jesus Christ, I'm going to relay to you something that has been a mystery for a long time. But now it's been made known to you and to I. Is that God, he actually has forged an avenue for you as Gentiles to be saved. Back in the Old Testament, this was not something that they looked at and that they looked forward to. Now, God did. Through prophecy, but they didn't get it. The religious Jews didn't get it. They didn't think that God was ever going to open the door of salvation to the Gentile. To them, they thought that basically the Gentile was created because God needed coal for hell. You were just a charcoal briquette, you know, if you're a, a, a Gentile in here. That's what the religious Jew would have thought that God had created you for because God chose us. And they began to look upon themselves as we are the chosen people. And so we are, we're looking down our nose at the rest of the world. And that has never, ever, ever been God's design, has it? God's design is never to place his hand upon the small nation of Israel so that they become snooty with the rest of the world. He did that so that they could be a light to the world and they kind of blew it. Guess what? He's placed his hand upon the church and we can do the same thing. We can fall into the same kind of a dangerous trap where we, we look down our nose at the world and go, well, you know what? we can kind of have that Hezekiah mindset. What do I mean by the Hezekiah mindset or the Hezekiah syndrome? The Hezekiah mindset or the Hezekiah syndrome. You remember God told Isaiah to go to tell Hezekiah, hey, set your house in order, your time's up, I'm gonna bring you home, you're gonna go to sleep with your fathers, you're gonna die. That's what God was saying to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah cries out and he goes, oh, wait a minute, wasn't I a good king? Didn't I do things for God? I mean, come on. I'm such a young guy. I, I could. There's more to live. There's more to life. I, I mean, really, do I have to? And God told Isaiah, "Hey, go back and tell him. I heard his. I heard. I heard his. I heard his heart. And I'm going to give him 15 more years, but let him know that when he's gone, some very, very, very perilous times are going to come upon his kids." And being the very thoughtful, loving father that Hezekiah was, Hezekiah said, well, as long as there's peace in my days, (laughs) that's horrible. That's not a loving father. As long as it's peaceful while I'm alive, who cares what happens to those guys? And when I say that we can sometimes as a church have the Hezekiah syndrome, we might look at the world around us and go, you know what? Live it up because you're going to hell. Live it up because this is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. (laughs) Ha ha, Man, I can't wait to see you toast. And and sometimes we get the wrong picture of what God ever designed us to be. You see, that's who Jesus Christ came to die for and to give himself for. Because that's the same world. That That was the same mindset that Jesus came to save. And he did that because he saw that that mindset had no hope. He said it's for that person I'm going to come. I'm going to give my life. And if that person repents, if that person turns, I will save him. Not necess- he's he's not he didn't come so that he could go ha ha you're going to die and ha ha you're going to die. He came because it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son not just the elect and i know that there's very hyper calvinistic mindset you know uh, that that looks at that and and uh they 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 look at at this mindset that says well god knows who he's going to choose and those are the people that he died for That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he died for the world. And I believe when the Bible says that he died for the global mankind, he did it to make an offer that was genuine to any and all who would come. And so so here's the thing. If Jesus has a picture, a broad picture of the world saying, I want the world to be saved, should we not also as Christians have that same mindset? And that's what Paul's trying to get to here. He's saying, guys, do you understand how blessing, and, and I know, I've gone over this, I know a lot of times, gone over about how, you know, the door has been opened for the Gentiles, and that the mystery has been revealed, that the, that salvation has come to the Gentiles, and I know you hear me say this over and over and over again. I, I, it's hard to articulate it to us in this day and age, because this is all we've ever known. This is all that we've ever known. And so maybe we don't appreciate it as much as if we were living back in that day. To the Gentiles then, they're going, what, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I get to have peace with God? It was a huge thing. And God help us when we look at salvation as being something of, hey, it's owed to me or eh, this is what I've always done. I've always been. Have you ever been around a person like that? Maybe you're one of these people. Hey, man, when did you get saved? I don't know. I've always been a Christian. Well, I mean, like when? When did you? I mean, did you? I grew up in a Christian. I, I've always been a Christian. Yeah, but, but I mean, do you? When you say that, what what do you mean? What do you mean by that? You mean that because you grew up in a Christian home, you think that you're gonna just automatically be given access into heaven because you were brought up in a Christian home? No, you've gotta make a choice yourself. When did you get saved? When did you have, when did you personally come to a place where you bowed your heart to God? When was the time in your life when you understood what we just did here today in communion? When was it in your life that you understood that Jesus Christ died for you and you only? You, not you only, but you personally, where you appropriated God's love to you, you accepted that you have asked him to be your Lord, your Savior. You've asked him to come and cleanse you of your sin. And if your answer is, well, I you know, I, I've always prayed, I've always done this, I've always done that, because this is just a home and I, I'm glad that we have Christian homes. That's awesome. But if we haven't taught our kids, if we don't teach the kids that they have to make a decision on their own, and it's a hard thing. I know my son's struggling right now in his own faith. It breaks my heart. I'm a pastor and I I wish I could just take my brain out. Slam it into his ear and let him see. And I can't. And it's one of the hardest things as a pastor to do is to sit back and sit there and go, how can you get up and teach people when you've got a son that struggles in his faith? He's going to have to make a decision on his own. Just like you do. Just like I do. Just like we all do. And Paul's showing us that If you make that decision, you're saved. You're saved. That middle wall of division that was between you and God, He's torn it down. That's what He said in chapter three, or chapter two. Verse fourteen, He Himself, He's our peace. Jesus is our peace. He's made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of division between us and God. The benefit that we have. Paul says it's for this reason that I'm sharing this with you. If you're in Christ, you didn't used to be. If you're in Christ, here's the benefit that you have. You used to be, a, belong to Satan, you don't anymore. If, here's the other thing. If you were a Gentile, guess what? It doesn't matter that you were a Gentile. What it matters is that you have a relationship with Christ. And all are one And at the foot of the cross. There is no unlevel ground at the foot of the cross. You're, if you're a Jew and you're saved, you're not better off than a Gentile that's saved. I got into that discussion one time over in Israel. I sat and eaten lunch with a, with a Jewish believer, Rami, and an Arab believer, David, and... Myself and these two guys are sitting have, having a, a meal together and we're eating. And I said, look at this. Three completely different background, absolutely. I mean, and two of you at odds. Your, your history is at odds with one another. And here we are. Me, just the, the mutt, Christian. David, you an Arab Christian. Rami, you a Jewish Christian. And Ram, Rami goes, "No, no, 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 Don. I go, "What? I am Jewish believer." I said, "Why well, no? You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. You have a relationship with Christ. Yes, but I am Jewish believer." I said, well, "Okay, but we're, we're Christians together, right?" No, I am Jewish believer. I said, "So you're a Jewish believer, but it's okay for me to be a Christian?" Yes. I said, so does that not separate you from me? I am Jewish believer. I said, so there's a different, there's a different level of a ground at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Is that what you're saying? I am a Jewish believer, Don. I said, you know, that's not what the Bible says. There is neither slave nor Scythian nor Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. No, 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 Don. I said, well, I'll pray for you, Ron. But here's the thing. We're not better than anyone. Christ has made us whole. Christ has made us right with him. And, and that's the cool thing. And, and he, he goes on and he says, you were a Gentile and you didn't have hope, but now you do. And now, now here's what I'm doing. Is I, I'm, I'm bowing my knee to pray for you that you understand who you are in Christ, that you understand what you've been saved from. You used to belong to Satan and you no longer are there. You used to be a Gentile. Now you're a Christian. Now you belong to God. And now I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven, not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 15 of chapter 3, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he... Paul saying that he would grant you, <laughs> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, not just mutt Christians like myself that we would be able to comprehend with every saint that belongs to Christ what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth. And I don't know why height isn't a word. It should be, shouldn't it? But it's not. I've gotten into that, that discussion one time a long time ago with Andy Capps. You know height isn't a word, but it should be. What's the width and the length and the depth and the height? Don't, doesn't that sound like it would be the right thing? And it's the width and the length and the depth and the height. Ah, you gotta put it th- on the end. But you understand if I said height, you'd understand. So I'm gonna always use height. It bothers Andy every time I say it. That we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height <laughs> to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge what does that mean how can we how how is it that we can love god and and to know that love that passes even our own knowledge that's deep man and and that's paul's prayer for you that's that's my prayer for you that's my prayer for me it's paul's prayer for you and me and and even for himself that we'd really truly understand Every aspect of God's love for us. And, and and it's beyond our own knowledge. But you would know it. It's beyond what you can actually write down on a page. It's It's, but that you would know it. That you would understand it. That you would forever be being understanding of God's love which passes knowledge that you would be filled with the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now I can think of a lot of things. Abundant things. And Paul says, even what you think, I'm asking God, even goes beyond. Your wildest imaginations. According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And this is where we get into next week. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This is who you were. This is what God has done. This is what you, this was your destiny before He came on the scene. Now look, now I want you to know it all. I want you to experience it all. I want you to to understand that, as you pour into your life with Christ, he will meet you you know there there was a there was a lesson that I learned there in school just the other day, and i, I actually there's so many different things that I learned in in school, but I was sitting there watching uh, and I, I i I will not show the video on here because I know that some of you will you don't like to fly and I don't want to do anything that would ever prevent you from flying. But it's an older video and it was showing, you know, what the old technology used to be to what we have today. And and uh you know, it basically was a captain and a copilot, a captain and a first officer flying in an airplane in weather at night in another country. And they're, they're flying along and, and they're, they're putting the approach in their, their, you know, flight plan, you know, in, in their instruments. They're putting all this information in and it's just not working right. They're they're like tapping on it going, ah, it's, something's not, something's weird. And, and they're just dialoguing back and forth. But nobody is willing to say, it doesn't look right, let's stop descending. (laughs) And they kept descending and descending. The the airplane was on autopilot. It kept coming down and kept coming down, kept coming down. And they were sitting there trying to figure out what had messed up on this thing, but they continued to come down. They were going to come down to 400 feet on this approach. And the thing is, is that there was a mountain between them and the airport. And within six seconds before they hit, the mountain became visible to them. And by that time, it was way too late. You could hear them say their last few words in there that weren't very nice words, but they were the last words that came out of their mouths. And and there was a statement that was said after that, that I thought, how appropriate for my life and for you too but I'm going to more so appropriate it to my own life and it's this the airplane did what they inputted now the airplane's smart enough to not do anything like that but when you override what the airplane says not to do the airplane's going to say okay okay what I mean by that is here. Here's the thing. When Paul says "have a walk," I'm begging you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. It's this, and I'm going to end with this: to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Here's the thing. Input the right heading. Input the right coordinates. Input the right altitudes and the right air speeds. Input the right information into your life, Christian. But if you're inputting the wrong things via, you know, I'll, you know, be it uh, internet, be it phone, be it friendships that you know probably aren't the most healthy for you, know that. Everything that we allow to come into our life is input that we're allowing. We're allowing. And especially when you go get on a computer or especially when you get on a phone and you start dialing things into your phone, typing things out and looking at things that you probably ought not to, you are inputting those things into your computer, into your life. And time after time after time, As a pastor, as Kevin and I will will see, there is suffer people suffer shipwreck. And they say, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how all this all came crumbling down. And you know what? You do, and I do, and we do, and we've got to come around with a, a way to say it to where we don't so offend you that you walk away and never listen to us ever again. And the idea is, listen, and I'm saying, listen, I could say this to Kevin, and Kevin can say this to, the, to me, because you know what? I don't always input the right information, and neither does he. Him probably more than me. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Here's the thing. We all struggle with sin. It's the input that we put into our life. What you put in is what's gonna come out. Don't blame the airplane. The airplane did exactly. Don't blame your your body. Don't blame don't blame other people for why you are in the position that you're in. When it's you that has inputted this information and you followed it. But here's the thing: the autopilot, the Holy Spirit is sitting here going, "Yeah, you probably ought to not do that." Womp, 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 Pull up, pull up, and you go, "Ha." Ah. Now, in an airplane, just so you know, when that horn goes off, there's a big light that goes off on my, on captain's side and on my side. Womp, 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 pull up, warning, warning, whatever. Descend, you know, turn, whatever, it's saying. Do something stupid, you know, whatever it is. It's beeping at you, it's honking at you, and it's very loud in the cockpit. (laughs) You know what what we're supposed to do? we're supposed to turn it off. And I'm thinking, I don't know, is that the smartest thing to do is just shut the warning bell off? But you know what it is. Because that horn behind you, you don't want that to add more stress to you. That horn is there to say, you've got a problem and you better take care of it. And so you stop that. The light may still flash, but the horn goes off and you address the issue that's in front of you. And the thing is, is that sometimes... The warning bells go off in our head. The warning bells go off in our hearts. And what do we do? We go up and we shut the warning sign off and we go, ah, I think I can continue down a little bit farther. <laughs> ah, I think I can, I think I can go a little bit farther. I think I can do it just a little bit more. And the next thing you know, life is in turmoil. My life is in turmoil. Your life is in turmoil. When in all actuality, you know what? When you were up at 10,000 feet, you could have inputted the right information. As you were descending, your warning system on the airplane kept telling you, don't keep going this direction because you're going to run into a mountain. We've got on the airplanes, they're called a Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System, which basically it will tell you, hey, there's a mountain coming in front of you, dummy. Pull up. Here it is. I'm painting it on your screen in front of you. There's a mountain. Yep, now it's turning red. Now it's turning purple. Purple's not a good thing. You don't want to go towards purple. Purple is bad. Get away from it. If you silence it, you're going to hit it. And you know what? We suffer shipwreck. That's what Paul talks about. It. He doesn't talk about aircraft wreck. What does he say? We suffer shipwreck. This is the same kind of mindset with a, with, a, with a boat captain. If you disregard the proper input, you're going to suffer shipwreck. And so guys, here's the thing. What we put into our life, what we allow into our life, that's called input. And your life is going to track whatever input you put in there. You go, man, my walk with the Lord is just not struggling right now. Well, can I ask you this? Where is your treasure? Jesus says, there's a really, really cool heavenly economic verse that Jesus says. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, if you pour your heart and your treasure into bad stuff on the internet, guess what? Your mind is always there. That's where your heart will be. If you pour your treasure into this, guess what? Your heart's gonna follow. If you, conversely though, and if you do it right, if you input the right things, if you input the right things into your heart, or into your life, and you pour your treasure into the right things, guess what? Your heart will follow that too. That's what your heart's gonna follow. You're not gonna struggle with the sin over here. You're gonna, you're gonna be able to Be led in righteous ways. And, and so here's the thing, guys. I, that, that hit me. And it was, I knew that that was going to come up when I saw it on the board and when I heard the guy say it. The airplane is only going to do what you input it to do. It's smarter than that, but it will never over, override What you tell it to do. And so if you tell it to crash, it's going to say, I don't want to crash. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear you saying, I don't want to crash. So I'm going to silence the horn. And I'm going to continue on down this path. That's exactly what these two pilots did. The horns kept coming off. Womp, womp, womp. Pull up. Pull up. Chink. No, there's something wrong with these things. What's, what in the world's going on? Uh oh, come on down to 400 feet. Womp, 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 womp. Pull up, pull up, pull up. What in the world is going on? I mean, do you agree? We're, we're on the path, right? I don't know. There's something, maybe we gotta talk to maintenance about this. You got a problem? Pull up, man. Go figure it out up there. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Go up there, cause there's no mountains up there. You've heard me say it so many times. If you're in a boat, don't ask the pastor, how close to the rocks can I go before I hit them? Just, if you're in a boat, go out into the open water. You you aren't going to hit rocks out there. Get away from the rocks. Those are bad. But here's the thing. Paul. This is what Paul's saying. I'm I'm begging you. Have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This is who you were. You don't have to be that guy anymore. You don't have to be that woman anymore. God's made a way of escape. Now, utilize what he's given you. And I'm begging you, input correctly. Input righteousness. Input good, righteous, holy treasure. For if you do, your heart's going to follow. thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.